0: Good morning. My name is Stan Gale. I'm filling in for Pastor Max while he is on sabbatical, filling in at least in the pulpit. Well, we are working our way through the book of James uh, this summer, and we have arrived at the last passage in the first chapter that we're going to be exploring. Our text is James 1, verses 19 through 27. Let's give ear to the reading of God's Word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Mirror, Mirror in the Word. let's pray. Father, as we have lifted our eyes to you throughout this service of worship, looking to you as you have called us into your presence, looking to you as we have sung the great truths of the faith, looking to you as we have prayed, confessed our sin, confessed the faith. So, Lord, now we look to you as we open your word. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work in each one of us and that your spirit would inhabit its preaching. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A survey was administered to Christians um, across a variety of denominations. And one of the questions that the survey was seeking to answer was this. Do sermons really have an impact? Do sermons really have an impact? Well, the conclusion was one of those... um, Good news, bad news kinds of things. Uh, The good news was that the vast majority of churchgoers uh, looked to sermons as something that was positive. They looked forward to sermons and they found sermons um, meaningful and important to them. All right, that's the good news. Uh, The bad news was that those same churchgoers. did not think that the sermon made much difference in their lives. In fact, only 17% thought preaching prompted any change in them. Well, I think that James would be deeply disturbed to hear the results of that survey. And the main reason James would be disturbed is that James holds a high view of the Word of God. Just so far, we've noticed how important the Word is to James. Uh, we, so far, we've seen that through it, through the Word, God gives us wisdom to navigate life to His glory. Through His Word, God guides us in the way of righteousness. Through His Word, God brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life just last week we read this in verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth he caused us to be born again working faith in us he brought us forth by the word of truth and so james has shown us a word that is life giving and life-directing. James' letter is filled with references to the Bible. He will speak of Abraham, of Rahab, of Job, of Elijah, and he'll draw on these various biblical figures to teach us about justification, obedience, perseverance, and prayer, all this teaching from the mouth of God, because James sees the Word as the Word of God, the God of truth, the God of life. James will also speak um, of the royal law. Now, the royal law is found in Leviticus 18, and it says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, something our Lord Jesus emphasized in his teaching James will bring to bear commandments from Exodus and Deuteronomy and so we get this idea as we read the book of James that James has a lofty view a lofty view of the written word of God and that is why he would be deeply disturbed to hear that the preaching of the word is not having a transformative effect on the lives of those who hear it. Well, as God brought us forth by the Word of Truth, so He is at work in us through the Word of Truth. This morning, uh, James addresses what it looks like for us, God's people, to be a people of the Word. And we can sum up God's teaching here under three headings. First is this. The word of truth directs us in the righteousness of God. The word of truth directs us in the righteousness of God. Now one of the topics that um, the Epistle of James is well known for is his teaching on the tongue. Now by tongue, I mean uh, our speech, the words that we use. And later in chapter 3, James is going to get into an extended teaching on the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and how we need to be careful in its use. And that teaching is going to be over half of the chapter of James 3. But here, James brings up the tongue for a different reason than he will in that extended teaching in chapter 3. Look what he says here. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person... Notice the individual responsibility there. Let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. And we see here that James is not simply talking about our speech. He's not just talking about our words. He's talking about our words, the use of our tongue in the context of anger. Anger. I think it's the case that every time in the Bible... That we find teaching on anger, we also find in the vicinity of that teaching on anger, teaching on the tongue. Now, why is that? It's because the tongue, our words, are the weapon of choice in the hand of anger. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 writes this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4. In, In verse 29 of that chapter, Paul goes on to say this, Let no uncorrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We find teaching of, about anger and right in the vicinity, we find teaching on the tongue. Think about uh, think, hurtful things that you have said when you've been angry. Or maybe hurtful things that have said, been said to you by those who were angry. And the words, these hurtful things, don't need to be yelling. It's just things that tear others down, that we know is a dagger to them, and that will hurt them deeply. By, and we assault people, or we can be assaulted with the tongue prompted by anger. Well, what does James want one, one of us when we find ourselves provoked? What he wants is he wants us to be measured in our response. He wants us to exercise control over ourselves. He wants us, to say, as he says here, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Or we could put it that we're not to be reactive. We're not to be reactive. Rather, rather we are to be responsive to what we hear. And that is what we find in teaching on the tongue. For example, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. How often do we do that? We're ready to jump to a conclusion before we really listen before we really understand. Or Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer, a gentle answer, turns away wrath. Meaning that we don't respond in kind when we are assaulted with words. Well, we've already noted that James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it deals with very common themes and is very practical. Well, something else we see in James is how much it parallels our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see one of those parallels here. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches about anger. And again, we see teaching about anger and in the vicinity is teaching about the tongue. This is what our Lord says in Matthew 5. He says, But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And here's the rest. And whoever insults... That's the tongue, isn't it? Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now why does James counsel us about anger why why is the big deal why does our lord jesus emphasize it well james tells us right here in our text look at verse 20 for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that god requires you see what james is doing here James is bringing a governing principle to us as God's people. A governing principle for the conduct of our lives. In verse 19, he said, Know this, my beloved brothers. And he addresses us as the family of God. He addresses us as subjects of the kingdom of God. He addresses us as a people of the Word. And he says that as a people of God, all that we do, all that we say is to be governed by the righteousness of God. Governed by the righteousness that God wants of us. And so James asks us here, Look at the way that you treat others. Look again at that tweet you posted as part of that thread. Look at how you handled yourself when you were maligned. When you were mistreated. Did your response seek the righteousness of God? did your response was it concerned for the righteousness that god requires or was your response more concerned with your own rights and righteousness because brothers and sisters in christ we are not our own we have been bought with a price And James brings that to bear. And he says in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, when James here is talking about the tongue, when he's talking about anger, he is not presenting us with an anger management course. He's not giving us tips on anger management. Rather, what He is doing is this. He is calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus. He is calling us to seek the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not Not that we save ourselves by that obedience. Not that we save ourselves by accruing some sort of righteousness. We are saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us, and we contribute nothing to it. But, if we call Jesus Lord, that means we must honor Him in our lives, bearing His name, and walking in a manner worthy of Him. To say that the word of truth directs us in the righteousness of God uh, says two things emphasized by our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. One, it says, as Christians, as a people of the Word, we are to live counterculturally. That means we, we live differently from those of the world. We live differently from when we are on the throne of our lives. We don't live according to the world's ways, but we are governed by this love, this wholehearted love for God and for neighbor as we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Two, James is telling us this, that our anger, our propensity for self-righteousness for concern for our personal rights that so drive this world, particularly the country in which we live. Anger is a threat that we need to handle in submission to our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how Peter describes Jesus and how the model is for us. He says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he, Jesus, did not threaten. That's the first point. The word of truth directs us in the righteousness of God. Secondly, we are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. We are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus impressed upon us that a hallmark of wisdom. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, He talks about the wise man who built his house on the rock. A foolish man built himself, his house on the sand when the storms came. Only that was built on the rocks. So Jesus is distinguishing to our, for us between wisdom and foolishness. And what was the hallmark of wisdom? Do you remember that? The hallmark of wisdom was hearing His Word and putting it into practice. That's just what James emphasizes for us here. He echoes what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, hearing the word is important. Hearing the word is important. It's where, it's where it begins. But saving faith Faith that saves shows up in a changed life. uh, Saving faith is fruitful faith. It does two things. Saving faith, genuine faith, faith that is of God, it is productive, meaning that it is fruitful, and it perseveres. Saving faith is productive in that, as we see in some of our Lord's examples, it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold as an evidence of God's saving grace. But it also, saving faith perseveres because the God who initiated it preserves. So, is our faith real? That's one of the questions that James puts on the table. And it stays there throughout the entirety of his letter. Is your faith real? You who are reading this letter, is your faith real? Uh, Billy Graham died not that long ago. He was 99. And he had a great impact for Christ and the gospel. One of the things that Billy Graham would do at these massive uh, crusade that he would have is he would give an altar call where he would invite people forward to receive Jesus Christ. Well, follow up to those uh, altar calls, to those crusade statistics, found out that 10%, only 10% of those who responded to re- the call to receive Jesus Christ, only 10% were found to be walking with the Lord. I'm not sure how much time later, but a certain amount of time. Only 10% actually attended a church a year later. That's what it was. Well, I've seen that as a pastor. My guess is that you have seen it. Perhaps family, friends, with uh, other church members that you know. Where someone professed faith in Christ at one point, but you would not know it to look at their lives down the road. No interest in church. No interest in the Bible. You look at their lifestyle, and they live in keeping with the world's values, the world's priorities, without regard for Christ, yet they continue to be, claim to be saved because they raised the hand or signed the card or prayed the prayer. You know, James calls that. He says here in verse 22, he says, they are self-deceived. How do we know if our faith is real? Well, I think James points to two ways. One, does it line up with the word of truth? Does it line up with the word of truth? Second, does it show up In our lives? Does it line up and does it show up? So, how do we know if we're deceiving ourselves? Well, James tells us look at verse 23 For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away. And at once forgets what he was like. James uses here the metaphor of a mirror. We all know what a mirror is. We spend time uh, every day getting ready in the bathroom, the mirror, combing our hair, and all that good stuff. James says God's word is a mirror. And in that mirror, as we hold up God's word and look at ourselves in it, and we see ourselves a sinner. And we recognize that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And we look at that mirror of the Word, and it says, this person that I'm looking at in the mirror cannot save me. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. And that Word points us to Jesus Christ. All throughout, we are pointed to Jesus Christ. That blameless and upright man we talked earlier, it points us to Christ. Christ. But also, that Word calls us to be blameless and upright. Not to save ourselves, Jesus does that, but to live in a manner worthy of Christ. And so we look in the mirror of God's Word, and we see areas where we see blemishes of sin, where we see all sorts of things that we need to take care of. And you know what that Word doesn't do what that bathroom mirror does and just shows us what's on the outside. It shows us the inside. It shows us, it exposes the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. As the Word of God, the work of the Spirit, we are laid bare. And a doer of the Word sees what God shows us. And does something about it. James calls a mirror something that I we probably uh, is a little surprising to us. He calls it the law of liberty. I'll look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that mirror, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing now when you think of law do you think of liberty probably not you probably when you think of law you think of restriction right you think of bondage you think of being held back often we hear that we are to be true to ourselves that's kind of a a mantra for today isn't it be true to yourself but the law of God reminds us that we are to be true to what God wants us to be. True to who we are in Christ. We find our spiritual equilibrium, our spiritual well-being when we live according to who we are in Christ. And you know, we might think of a train as an example. When is a train most free? Is a train most free when it is bounding around just freely across the countryside, across the meadows? Or is a train most free when it is on the tracks that it was designed to run on? God has designed us for righteousness to follow Him, to know Him. And how is love expressed? If you love me, you will do what I say. How is the law summarized in Matthew 22? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 25, James says that he will be blessed in his doing. Now, it's curious, isn't it? Uh, In one sense, we are fully blessed already. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ. But in another sense, we are blessed through walking by faith that looks to Christ and lives Christ because Jesus said it, Jesus said it, he said in me you will have life and have it abundantly so James is pointing us to the blessing of living according to the word of God and you know what that applies even in difficult times it applies even in trials Listen to these words of Jeremiah the prophet. and Jeremiah, he was called the weeping, weeping prophet. And he had a tough road to hoe. Listen to what he says. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See, trust in the Lord is exhibited in obedience to His Word. Alright, the Word of truth directs us in the righteousness of God. Secondly, we are to be doers of the Word and not merely hearers. And the third heading is this our relationship with god shows up in the practice of religion our relationship with god shows up in the practice of religion james tells us one other thing about being a people of the word look at verse 26 If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, when you hear the word religion, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I tend to think of um, various religious rituals or outward uh, religious practices so when we practice our religion we do stuff uh, associated with that religious brand the apostle paul spoke this way he is appearing before king agrippa making his defense in the book of acts and paul describes this He he puts it this way my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. You see what Paul's saying there? He says, I have lived, I've exercised my religious practice. According to what a Pharisee does. Now, I'm not doing it as a Sadducee would do. You got their own way of doing things, but I'm a Pharisee, and so I live, I do these things, I believe these things, practice this way. And, it, and we hear this, we kind of get a sense of denominationalism. You know, uh, just like Baptists do things different uh, from Methodists or Presbyterians have different uh, traditions from Anglicans. You know, Other religions have their own practices uh, where you know, like Jews um, have observe a Saturday Sabbath and um, observe annual feasts like Yom Kippur. The Muslims have the five pillars of Islam that they observe. And so we look at religion and we find a lot of religions, a large variety of religious systems, practices, but... As evangelicals, and that's kind of a squishy word nowadays, as evangelicals, and by that I mean a people of the word. As evangelicals. When we hear hear the term religion, we're not particularly happy about it. We're not happy with that term. And maybe you've heard heard this said before, that Christianity is not a religion religion. It's a relationship. And we can see the appeal of that statement. You can see why the word religion would be so distasteful. Many of us, me included, who came to Christ as adults and who were involved in a religious system and did the religious things, going to church in a particular way, doing the particular things, all the trap, exercise, all the trappings of that religion. When we came, when God intruded in our lives, and brought us from darkness to life. We saw a huge difference. Our Christianity was revolutionized. How when we came to not just know about Jesus Christ, but to personally know Jesus Christ, we can understand well why people would say Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. But for James for James relationship shows up in religion relationship shows up in religion saving faith that knows Jesus knows Jesus Christ expresses itself in action related to Jesus Christ religion is the outworking of our relationship with christ and that relationship with jesus affects our allegiance who we're going to be true to our priorities our practices james wants us to think of religion not merely as those formal rituals that we do in the practice of our faith but he wants us to think of religion as the exercise of the lordship of jesus christ in our life all of life and that's why when he talks about bridling the tongue you know watching our words guarding guarding our tongue so when he talks about being hearers and doers of the word all relates to religion because our religion has to do with whom we follow or as i think it was a bob dylan song whom will you serve religion before god springs from a heart occupied by the holy spirit and is inclined to following or oriented a better way to put inclined oriented to following jesus christ what religion does is it considers not what i want but as james says in verse 20 what does god require of me what does god require of me so religion is not bad in itself the question is what drives it what gives it form well here's the sort of religion that god wants of us verse 27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, our religion is to reflect the heart of the God that we know and love and serve. Now here, James puts it positively and negatively Positively, he says that our religion is to reflect the values and priorities of God. It's to reflect the values and priorities of God. You know, sometimes when we hear those uh, priority lists, we see, we see the, uh, it's presented uh, in terms of priorities of our life. It's presented as a list. What goes atop? You know, God, and then um, family, and then work, and then self. But that's not a biblical, conce- biblical conception of priorities. There's no list about it. A biblical conception of priorities is a wheel where you've got God at the center of everything. And so that we serve God uh, in how we work. We serve God in our religious practice. We serve God in how we treat others. We serve God in how we use our time. Serve God in how everything involves Serving our God, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory forever. And so James says here that religion before God is that, uh, is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, and that is a sampling, a taste of the priorities of God. That's not the exhaustive list of what really, but our religion, the things that we do, what we give our money to, how we use our time, all reflects what is important, what God has told us about as He's shown us His heart in His Word. All right, positively, we're to direct ourselves that way. Negatively, we are to restrain ourselves. We're to keep ourselves unstained, is what he says, From the corrupting, rebellious values and actions of a world that does not know Jesus Christ. You see what James is calling us to here, brothers and sisters? James is calling us to a deeper spiritual, maybe that's not the good word to use, a deeper all of life. A deeper life than going to church. Than praying before you eat. Deeper than having a habit of personal devotions. James is calling us to a God-honoring, Christ-serving, Spirit-driven life. Where the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and the conduct of our lives in every respect seek and serve the God who has claimed us as His very own. Here at Meadowcroft, we have basically the same order of service every week. I think it's a delightful liturgy where God calls us and we respond and it's a very full and joyous uh, liturgy. So after the sermon each week, Uh, what do we do we sing a song a song that is some way a response to what we have heard in the preaching of the word and we sing that and then after the benediction we sit back down and spend a minute or two reflecting on our time in the service reflecting on the things that God has impressed upon us, whether in the preaching of the Word or a song that was sung or a prayer prayed or something the Spirit kind of worked in us off the page. And that's a helpful practice. But James has made it clear that our response to God's Word cannot end there. It cannot be confined to this room. It's something that we need to carry out these doors and into our lives. And that involves more than taking the sermon notes that we wrote home with us. Rather, we need to transfer those notes to the library of our hearts with an eye, with an eye to living them out in the religious practice of relationship with the living God who is our Father living it out in the course of daily life let's pray heavenly father as you have brought us into your kingdom by the power of your word we ask for your grace to receive it with faith and love to lay it up in our hearts and to practice it in our lives for the glory of your son our savior we pray Amen.